And welcome to another episode of Two Medics and One Mic. Your presenters are Imran Lasker and Thrusha Gudwatna. So hello and welcome to another episode of the Two Medics podcast. My name is Imran Lasker. I'm a consultant radiologist. Hi, I'm Thrusha Gudwatna. I'm a cardiology registrar, so specialising in intervention. And we have a very special guest with us today. We've been interacting with her all over Twitter, haven't we? And you've been recipient of the famous Thrusha DM, so please go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Law. I'm a trainee in psychiatry, and I have a specialist interest in wholesome content. Ah, nice. Wholesome content indeed, exactly. You, you've been quite active on Twitter. How long have you been on Twitter for, and have you found your experience of the whole Twitterverse, MedTwitter, and that whole ecosystem that it is? I think it's really changed. I think you've had other people on here who said, I got Twitter 10 years ago, something like that. Um, I got it because... I wanted to know what everyone was tweeting about feminism and queer politics and all this stuff. And gradually I got more and more vocal and then a little bit less vocal and then a bit. So so I think like a lot of people, my use of Twitter changes a bit with sort of my mood, the stage I'm at during my life. But I definitely think med Twitter as a brand has changed since I was using it as a medical student. But maybe that's because I'm using it as a doctor now, I don't know. But I think it probably has changed in nature. Yeah, I mean, Med Twitter is a is a funny, funny place. I mean, um, we've seen so many things things go on over the last few weeks, and in, and this week we've had a lot going on again. And Thrusha, you you found yourself having a bit of a, a bit of a tussle. Should we go into that straight away, or should we uh, leave that for a bit later? Yeah, cool. I mean, we could do. I mean, it was a kind of um, segue off a thread that was just doing the rounds, wasn't it? Which is about locum payments, and there was this kind of horribly worded horribly horribly worded email which basically criticized uh kind of called into question the uh, professionalism of doctors who perhaps were signing up for locum shifts and maybe just uh, trying to negotiate the fee or whatever and then them basically saying that that's not professional but in this kind of rather aggressive way and it got quite a reaction right I found the email really weird. It was like, okay, look, we've got these locum shifts that need to be filled. These are the rates and stop being, you know, be doctors and be ethical. Stop trying to negotiate the rates and just do them, right? And that, that was the message. And it really kind of got everyone's back up, didn't it? I mean, what did you make of that one, Law? Yeah, I, I think it brings up a theme that's come up several times when people started working. There was the conversation, when the F1, new F1s all started, there was a conversation about working late. And then this has tapped into the same sentiment which is this not unspoken rule, this very widely vocalised rule that because medicine is a vocation, you therefore should have absolutely no boundaries, no limitations on how much you are willing to work, which I emphatically disagree with. And I think it also, I think I was saying to you both before, that it's also just not a pragmatic position where... When you look at even if you don't care about doctors as human beings, you do want rested, not burnt out, not bitter doctors that deliver best, safest patient care. So I don't think it holds up either morally or like however you approach it. 
Yeah, it seemed to like hit a few notes, didn't it? It just seemed like, because I actually mentioned it to a family member of mine and I said, because I think he was just trying to look at med Twitter and so he didn't really understand it because he's not a medic. And then he said, can you show me some of the beef that goes on in med Twitter? So actually I went and cho chose that one and I showed it to him, like this is something that came up. And he was like, oh, but I agree with what they're saying. And obviously I was a bit like, oh, you know, here we go. We're going to have a fight now. Uh, and then I thought, okay, just relax. Let's hear what he's got to say. He said, I don't see what's wrong with this. You know, obviously, uh, as a doctor, your ethic should be that you should help people. And I said, like, that's not the point here. It's not about like, whether you want to help people or not. And then he, his line to me was, but if someone was like injured about to pass away, you're going to suddenly start asking for payments. And I thought, again, you've kind of completely changed the argument here. That's not what I'm saying. Like, obviously, there is that. But what we're talking about here is management, not being able to fill rotor gaps and then guilting you into trying to fill those rotor gaps by saying that, you know, you as a doctor, as a professional, need to fill, out, fill this rotor gap that it's kind of their job to fill it's not it's not your job to to stand up and you know save the place right it's not your job to try and save the entire hospital that's what i'm saying you basically reenacted a twitter argument in real life that's really weird because that's what ends up happening isn't it it literally does the argument does descend into someone saying something along those lines i remember zach used that kind of quote where like you inevitably get compared to some like junior just like chucking their stethoscope as a consultant as they come mm. around and walk off it just mm. is uh, but it does get characterized in that way like quite easily and when it becomes so emotive it gets much more difficult to like to, to argue and there is that th and that all gets put on that kind of generally junior doctor it's usually like a senior doctor kind of saying that to a junior doctor hmm. but um the, the person who posted that actually told me where that was should i be saying where that is like he's like oh yeah put it out there i don't know, mm, I don't know about that mate i don't want to <laughs> yeah let's not i mean you could say it but i'll probably bleep it out <laughs> you could say it but i'll bleep it out yeah <laughs> you're so professional man you're so professional <laughs> i think the problem is it's always about the flexibility going one way Mm. Uh, we rarely, I don't know anyone that's not, yeah. if a patient's dying, if someone's really acutely unwell, I don't know anyone that's going to go beep, 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 that's 5pm and, <laughs> and, and run, run off. I think there's people that are plenty happy to be flexible and, but then you always, you always see those arguments of going, can we, can we have to give the other, the other way if we're doing, mm. if we're doing this and it's oh do this to help out your colleague do this to help out the patient that's so true yeah right? i only i've like definitely like signed up for shifts like that where like you know someone's gone like gone off halfway through a shift and like i'll cover this uh, like and uh, or like gone off literally at like, the last moment i've covered shifts and stuff but then have you ever tried to get paid for it afterwards you know like you have to get this you've got to like print some kind of like weird form and then you've got to get like 40 different two two different people to like sign it and then you've got to fax it to like an unknown location and then it comes back and then like you have to obtain the cctv footage to prove you were there exactly exactly <laughs> and about about two months later you get paid and for it and it's like and you're like oh actually you know um the the i i stayed late so i ended up having dinner at work and so the price i paid for like dinner was like pretty much how much i got paid i mean that's a bit of an exaggeration <laughs> like a bit of an exaggeration but that's what it feels like i did i did a locum when i was saving up for the deposit for my flat and i had a car accident on the way to the locum and i ended up paying more in repairs for my car than oh, no. i did uh <laughs> than I earn on the local ship. That's so horrible. Oh no, that's terrible. That's so terrible. It's like earning money just to like tread water. <laughs> it was the most depressing shift I've ever done. But that's the thing, like we saw that argument and we kind of, you kind of know where it's going to go, but then someone waded in and yeah. it was someone who waded in and they were like, I've worked 10,000 hours for free 
um, so should you. And then, I mean, that's where you came out with the killer line through, Shane. In fact, I loved it so much, I, I, I saved it and sent it back to you because I knew that person was going to delete their, their tweet after a while. But um, they were basically saying that, you know, they've done 10,000 hours for free and, they, you know, you should just suck it up and do it at the rates that they're saying. I mean, what on earth do you say to that? If I did work 10,000 hours, it makes me think of that song. But, like, it was just so ridiculous, isn't it? I think the word, like... I got really like it made me really petty. The reply was so petty because he used the word "stop whinging." Thrusha, man, you you I could almost see the blood boil in your head. Like I am going to get back to this. Yeah, there's veins in my head. <laughs> <laughs> in my head. <laughs> did you see that reply that he he did? Law. It was it was absolute perfection. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I did no no no. I saw I saw it because I then backed it up with a gif because anything I, I had no words but <laughs> I wanted you to know that I was there for you in a very camp yeah um, I appreciated it I appreciate mm. it but did you see there was this other guy there was a, a medic who kind of came in with the you know there's the other thing that happens in these kind of threads where they kind of are like wait a second we don't have enough information here and it's all like <laughs> oh we haven't seen all of the email even though it starts with the beginning of the email it's like, oh, but you know, like the, I don't know, the last like two lines of it is going to completely mm. turn around that horrible sentiment. And it's doing yeah. that whole thing that people do, you know, like when you see like footage of some person getting beaten up and then, wait a second, we didn't see the video like 30 seconds. Before. It's like, okay, that's, you know, like nobody was there, like set up with a camera to like watch beforehand. Like that's just, mm. that's life. Like you've got what you've got, like believe, like, and they're like, mm. oh, there's so much outrage. And that, that was like a theme, like people complaining about outrage this week. Yeah, I mean, that was a weird thing about that because then someone started, like, so we had that argument about, no, you should go work those 10,000 hours to which they got multiple memes, one by myself, the Rusha completely did the Smackdown. We got blocked by that person. Both of us did. I think, oh, Lord, yeah. did you get blocked? You didn't get blocked. I'm pretty sure I got blocked. No. Oh, yeah. uh, okay, maybe you did get blocked, didn't get blocked. But then, yeah, we had this other argument where I, I see this a lot, you know, we see this a lot where, like, there's the argument about something and it, we have a nice conversation or interesting conversation coming out from both ways. But someone says, no, but we need to talk about the validity of the email in the first place. It completely distracts the whole thing. And then the argument was that, no, no, the email, we don't know the validity of it. And even if you're not happy with that email, that needs to be going down proper pathways, not being shown on Twitter. And it was completely distracting from the argument to the point that this person was like, well, you know what, I'll talk about it on your podcast. And I was thinking, well, it's like a five minute little thing. I don't really need you to come in and tell me. I've kind of read what you think and we're not going to meet on this particular one because it's a different argument completely. It's not, it's not an yeah. argument. It's a complete distraction. And we see this a lot, don't we? Like there was another thing that popped up early in the week where they're talking about the grades of doctor and, you know, how BME doctors seem to feature less and less the more senior that you get right you see that right and so what actually mm. happens and we see it all the time like i know that if i go back to a few of the places that i worked you look at the clinical directors you see the people high management and suddenly all the bme doctors are no longer around you know yeah and that's something that we see we see that all the time you don't you don't need a genius to get i mean go go to these websites go see who's who's in management and have a look and take a step back and think okay where are they from who are these people and not that i'm saying anything wrong with them i'm just saying there is a pattern there is a pattern yeah. But then someone jumped in and said, but we don't know the data. Well, we need to yeah. have a look at the data. And it completely just pushes the argument somewhere else. Don't you think? Just Have you seen that? I think, again, we were like discussing that anyone who lives, anyone who exists as part of a minority and mm. experiences microaggressions, experiences any uh, discrimination that stops them advancing in life, you know that that 
is a factor in it. You, it. you know it's a barrier without them having to say you're a woman, you're whatever ethnic, without them having to say it, you know. Mm. And mm. but someone goes, prove it. Like where are the stats? And and it taps. And I think that tweet and that comment annoys people because it taps into not only the emotional toll of constantly being othered, but the burden of having to prove your others. Yeah. <laughs> because why would someone listen to your experience when they can just go, oh, but we need statistics, we need something objective, you know, we, we mm. want subjective RCT of why you are discriminated against, please. And but it feels like a distraction tactic, doesn't it? It feels like, it okay, is. I know you've got your argument, but I want to talk about this to completely yeah. get away from, you know, from the actual argument or the point of what the tweet is or what the conversation is trying to push. Um, and I just find that kind of, I see that again and again and again, especially when it comes down to issues of race and especially when it comes down to to these kind of topics of sexism and the way men are with females, which we'll come back to. I know that's going to be a subject we're probably going to be bringing up a, a bit later on in this mm. in this podcast. But the, there was a microaggression as well that popped up that through. Do you remember uh, yeah, you, were, yeah. you really wanted to bring up? Yeah. Yeah. So... My goodness, I thought you'd miss that. Like, I dropped you a segue. And, and I was like, they missed it. I mean, oh, no. Just work it to it. It's just work it to it. It's an art. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But it's, so it's, this was another tweet by Partha. So the last one was by Partha. Uh, we shouldn't tell girl Partha too much. But he, he mentioned about how he went into this meeting, like an absolute boss, and someone said that he looked like, if he was wearing a, a loincloth or something, he'd look like Mowgli. And then Partha responds with, well, if you had a little moustache, you'd look like Adolf. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. It's delicious. It's one of those things where I, you know, we have those interactions and then I'd probably think about it two days later and be like, oh, I wish I'd have said that. I wish I'd have said that. Like, oh, I'm ugly. Yeah, so, but then mm. there were all these replies to it, which um, I kind of find the apologism infuriating you know like mm. there was this one reply which is like oh you shouldn't respond with like negativity and all this kind of stuff I'm like oh for god's sake i mean mm. like the guy is low-key being like that to me is one of those derailing things like because then it becomes about like negativity and being positive and all this kind of like nonsense mm. when actually this other person's being low-key racist and just like sidestep that and this whole kind of putting the emphasis on the victim to like take the moral high ground why should they have to do that why should they have to put up with it no way if they want to start slinging mud why can't we sling mud back i love the hitler thing i'm saving that one i mean it was good wasn't it because it was kind of let's just twist everything you just said put it back on you and just yeah exactly yeah just change it around awesome. just change it around and see what you think how do you feel about that and I think this has come up in other discussions about racism and other things on Twitter where you're, oh, you can't like, respond to like with like, you've got to be Michelle Obama. <laughs> Look at my flabby arms, there's no way I'm going to be Michelle Obama, let me be petty. But also it ignores the fact that if you're, you know, I say we, like if it's talking about race, obviously I'm not included. And, um, but the fact that people might want to respond using humour to cope with the fact someone says something ridiculous. Like, if someone says something that absurd to you, why wouldn't you respond equally absurd? Because it's such a bizarre situation. Why would you not resort to, to say something like that? It's true. I mean, that's the thing. Like, that's the nature of a good, you know, when someone insults you and you're giving a good reply back. I mean, that's a, I mean that was a phenomenal reply and it completely twists the entire thing. But that kind of brings us on to another thread that came up, 
what is the best insult you've heard at work? And I, I really enjoyed this one. There were some really, really good things that flew in there um, about differing situations. There was one person that was talking about, um, you know, as they were leaving core medical training to go into radiology. And as they were walking out, they heard that under the breath, enjoy being in a dark room. You know, what a waste or something like that. And uh, which kind of very... Do they not realize how many fun things happen in dark rooms? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What exactly. an insult. What an insult. But yeah, how, have you guys had anything like that? You know what my insult is and you're just waiting. I know. I don't yeah, know. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to push you to just say it because it, it was so good. So, Laura, what was the insult that you may have may have received <laughs> so the insult I received was, again, not from a patient, but from a colleague um, who was, we were doing the post-take and this doctor looked at my ID photo and said, oh, yeah, you do look like a less obese Adele. Oh, and, my word. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing that struck me was that was so specific. It wasn't just like Adele, have you ever noticed you've got a bob and chubby cheeks? It was a less obese Adele. It was painful. (laughs) And isn't it, was it kind of an honor though to hear that Adele was someone like you? Uh, oh, are we going? Are we? Oh, nice. Only because you've had twenty-four hours to come up with that. Thrush, <laughs> <laughs> have you had any? Have you had any interesting? Um... There was one uh, that was quite funny. By um, I think it was Roshan, and Roshan said something like, "The ITU consultant said you're a tool. No way. A tool implies you're useful, which you're not. So you're a useless tool." <laughs> <laughs> oh God. I mean, I remember I used to work with this big prof and um, he, I mean, he, uh, he, everyone's dumb to this guy. He was clearly very, very smart. And, um, but I think he really, really took it on himself to remind me that I'm really not as smart as he is, which I didn't really mind all that much. And uh, he spent weeks trying to get under my skin and intelligence is not usually something I get too upset about, you know, and he did make digs at my reports and digs at my, you know, just say certain things. One day we were sitting there having lunch and he says to me, um, you know, uh, my daughter, he was so proud. Oh, my daughter goes to Haberdash's at school. And I thought, oh, so do I. I mean, I went there too, and his face literally dropped. Like, and it wasn't even thinking he said. It's, it's just a sound from his voice. He was like, oh, like that. And I was just like, <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah. Sorry, mate. I've kind of ruined it, haven't I, for you? He was such an interesting character. Actually. I just say one more story about him. He was um, he was so obsessed with staying at work late. He loved to stay at work late. We were doing oncology, and it's not. I mean, things need to be done within two weeks, not in the same day. But he would stay there till eight o'clock, nine o'clock, you know, ten o'clock, just reporting and reporting. And I think one day, I think he, I used to just leave. You know, like I think he expected the registrar to leave, but I was like, oh, five o'clock, gotta go, see you later. And then I used to make excuses, like I've got like shopping to pick up. And one day, I think he got really particularly annoyed with me, and he said, listen, you know, if you want to be an expert in anything, you've got to put ten thousand hours in to become an expert. And I just thought, that's such a ridiculous thing to say. Like, just go away. So I said to him, listen, you know, you could also be good enough by doing about 100 hours. So that's good enough for me, mate. <laughs> and you could just tell this was not, this was not going well. It's not going well at all. Oh. Uh, but yeah, that was just sort of an insult back. At, well, I tried my best to be uh, insulting without being too insulting, you know? Yeah. So he, but he, follow, he follows you on Twitter now, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he tags me every now and again. Yeah. Did you wait? But do you follow him? I back? did, I did, I did, oh, and that, wow. yeah, I, I follow, he follows me. I followed him back, and then he tagged me on something, and I was like, "That's so awesome! Well done!" And then I, just, I do that every now and again as a bit of a, a wow. bit of a like. Do you remember me? Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, like, you know, I used to leave a bit early, you know, because not early. I used to leave on time, and he used to have a bit of a problem with me leaving on time. But through shit, I mean, 
What do you think about, you know, when you leave work, do you ever worry about the patients that you left behind? Oh, so smooth. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like caramel. That was so smooth. Caramel. <laughs> this reference a tweet from uh, Alicia Padan. Uh, just in case mm. she's got a bingo card. So uh, any advice for new F1s and how to stop worrying about pe- uh, patients when you're off duty? And mm. I thought that was a really interesting question because that's something that I've really struggled with. I think it would be where you're on call and then maybe you go off for the weekend and you've got two days where you kind of, maybe you've handed them over to like a weekend colleague and then I'd kind of fret about it. Did you, do you guys know what that, I mean, how, how do, you, no, how, do you feel that do way? You... <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know I don't. Um, so you don't um, have that worry about your patients you just leave is that what happens so I really thought about this what I was going to say to this and I didn't come to a conclusion because I got distracted by uh, uh, cookies and um, <laughs> but, uh, I compartmentalise a lot at work I try and have my own safety nets and my own checks to make me feel you know I use a lot of proformers I over document certain things because it reminds me that I've done it it's not for anyone else's benefit but but mine um I think what I do that for is so that when I finish work I'm like well I've done everything I see as possible to kind of safety net any expected risks and Mm. any unforeseeable risks that's why we have an on-call structure and and that's why we have regulation structures and the procedural things we have in place I've always found that I've been able to compartmentalize and things because I think that that's important not only for medicine but I found it in psychiatry and and also totally when I leave work, I like to just punch a man on the way out to get that tension out. <laughs> They're very much on brand. Uh, is that therapeutic? <laughs> <laughs> that signals to me my day is done. So yeah, it's so funny. I mean, when you when you did come out with the tweet that you're going to be on with us, it was the, the, one of the first things. Like, are you just going to say why I'm men the entire episode? So yeah. Don't worry, everyone. Yeah. We will get there. We will get there. <laughs> we will eventually get to that particular topic at some point. Yeah. Do you think? I mean, from what you're describing, I mean, that sounds really healthy. Mm. But like, I sense like, do you feel uncomfortable saying it? Like, what is because like? It... I feel. I definitely. I definitely feel uncomfortable saying it because I, I. I really struggle to think of a way to articulate that I care deeply about my patients and I yeah. care yeah, about about being a good doctor and a safe doctor I take that really seriously but I also really value boundaries and I think you are a better and a safer doctor by having those in place and actually not getting too emotionally close I think that often your judgment and I've definitely seen colleagues who are so wrapped up in their own sort of concern and anxiety that it, you know it's I, I see why it leads to burnout I see why mm. you know that kind of feeling of kind of worry I don't think it's necessary like for me anyway like when I'd, I'd feel kind of like concerned about decisions and made and stuff it wasn't necessarily because I was so worried for the patient per se like mm. it sounds so really true. bad but like when there's like a complication I feel terrible but then at the same time I'll be like everyone's gonna be talking about this like everyone's hmm. going to think I'm a doctor. Like that's that's one of the things that I worry, more perhaps worry about maybe more that people will hmm. be like. Oh, there's something so liberating about not caring if people think you're crap. Yeah. Um, Why? How do I do that? It, it, there is a point where if you humiliate yourself enough, you become numb to it. And and it just, 
I've never not minded asking a stupid question. I've never minded, like, ah, this might be the charm of being a woman. I've been patronized for most of my life. So when someone <laughs> patronizes me at work or I like thinks I'm an idiot at work, that is just in keeping with the sort of the normal societal interactions I have. So <laughs> I think mm. that maybe all that matters to me is that I'm a safe, good doctor and the patients I treat think that if my colleague, you know, and as long as my colleagues think I'm safe to kind of hand over to and trust me with those jobs, obviously, you know, you need your colleagues to have some trust in you, but yeah, sure. But other people who I don't directly work with, mm. not think mm. I'm a superstar doesn't really bother me. I mean, the thing is, you know, in radiology, it's re- I, I found, I still sometimes find that, um, like you do the report and then you kind of, you go to sleep or the next day you might be like, did I look at the bone windows? I did so many scans yesterday. Did I actually look at the bottom of the lungs there? Did I? And then you start to really worry. And then I've had situations where like, I don't even know which scan it was. I've got to go through my entire morning reporting to go find like that particular scan to try and just find out where I might have missed something, if I'd missed something at all. I'm glad you said what you said, Theresia, because I don't know how much of it is to do with how much I care about what the outcome for the patient is or how much do I care about me making a mistake and that becoming discrepancy for me and more to deal with, like, how I feel about it. And I often, you know, I used to... I, yeah, it sounds like you're contending with some male Yeah, you think so? Well, I don't know, Absolutely. but I think, like... Uh, <laughs> no, I think, like, um, when you get an, an F1, right, for example, and they come and ask for a scan... And then let's say they're lying. Well, I'm, so, I'm, I'm not picking on it, but let's say someone lies to get a scan. Let's just say that happens because I hear it happens. Sometimes it does. What are you lying for? <laughs> like, are you lying to? Are you lying because for the patient's sake, or are you lying because you want your consultant to say, you know what? Well done. You got that scan. Uh, like, yeah. that, that's my, that's my thing. That's what I'm trying to say here. Yeah. So it's a complex argument, I guess. But I'm just saying that like. These are things to think about. What are you worried about if you don't get the scan that you came in to get? Is it because yeah. it's the wrong scan or is it because your team are going to be unhappy? No, 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 it's true. Like, it's totally that. But like, also there's a culture of, like, perfection, isn't it? Not getting stuff wrong. And mm. obviously we, like, I mean, maybe that is, like, patriarchy, isn't it? Like, this idea that you've got to be, like, blazing on with, like, perfection all the time. You can't admit, like, I don't know, admitting, mm. like, weakness and mistake, Or maybe admitting mistakes is, like, weakness. But, like, mm. you know, I think of times, I remember, like, a colleague, like, posting into, like, a WhatsApp group when one of the other regs had a complication, like, in a kind of bantery type way. Mm. And I was, I replied being like, bro, why would you do that? Like, in the front of, like, you know, nobody... Because a cardiologist, that's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what not? And then he, like... He took issue to be using the word bro, and it's like, actually, that's not the problem here. The problem oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, I know. Wow. It just, I think there is this kind of peculiar attitude towards kind of making mistakes. And I think if we had more of a culture of being open about those kind of things, but in general about being more open about our feelings, mm. yeah. but like, um, then maybe, maybe it'd be better. But yeah, maybe it is all ego law. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe this should, this podcast should just be a uh, law just going, boy, I'm in. That should be, that could be the answer to all these tweets, maybe. Maybe, maybe that could be. But you know, this, you made me think actually, law, with something that you said in terms of like, you know, you kind of, quite good at compartmentalizing your thoughts and keeping yourself sort of separate from uh from you know life and work life are completely separate things but we noticed a tweet uh, i think that came up and there was a tweet about like was it bingo was it bingo that's what triggered oh, this yeah. yeah there was a bingo and that was done by oh, abby 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 tut abby toot uh she did a wonderful little tweet about um uh, bingo and the reason why i say it's wonderful because it included us kitching yeah and then um 
But then someone replied to that saying that, you know, I'm sick of essentially saying I'm sick of doctors being on uh, on Twitter trying to be celebrities. Well, I feel like we should quote it verbatim because this okay. obviously received a lot of source, didn't it? Mm, it did, it yeah. Was, um, a lot so of tea was had during this a one. Lo- yes, yeah, it spilled, <laughs> spilled everywhere. Yeah, we are doctors, not cele- uh, celebrities. Your patients see that desperation for likes, followers, retweets, and I suspect it's not a good look. I hate that line. It's not a good mm. look. Achieve influential status through your patient care, academic achievements or prowess within your field. Your social media influence will follow. Well, if that's the case, then I there's there's no hope for me. <laughs> like, it's never going to happen. <laughs> I must give up now. Just delete my account. Is that what he was telling me to do? Delete my account, I guess. I mean, there's so much to this, isn't it? Where do we even start? I mean, the reason I, I brought this up is because I think as people were giving him a hard time about what he'd said, he suddenly started a tweet saying... I don't care. I tweet what I tweet and it's up to you to follow me or not follow me. I'm not going to play this game. Basically saying he's above the game of likes and, you know, followers. Mm-hmm. But is he above the, the game of likes and followers, Lord? Do you think so? No, uh, nobody, nobody on Twitter is, let's be honest. Uh, the second you sign up for a Twitter account, there are a few people on Twitter who have Twitter accounts exclusively to read tweets and they do not post tweets. Those people I'm in awe of because I've never had a thought in my head that I haven't chosen to share with the world. (laughs) um, Sometimes people will say, oh, I saw you tweeted this and they don't even have Twitter accounts. And I'm like, you just Uh, But anyway, um, that's by the way. But the second you send your first tweet, you you have entered the game of seeking validation, which we all do in life as a general thing. Yeah. The fact that anyone, the fact that we demonize seeking attention, seeking validation is strange. The second you're in on that, you want people to validate you. You want people to justify the decisions you've made. Whether it's, oh, I've justified my life to academia. Please see my paper I've just published. Please tell me. Please tell me that all the hours I've spent ignoring my family and not sleeping and and missing these really badass Netflix shows has been worth it. Please like me. Please tell me that these sacrifices are worth it. And the only difference between us and anyone else is that Twitter, we're the ugly people. We can't work on Instagram. No one, you know, and, <laughs> and I know that Theresa and Imran are like, what do you mean we? <laughs> but <laughs> you, if we had those, like, I've seen Theresa any opportunity to get the guns out, he'd do it. Like, <laughs> it's true. I, it's absolutely. In real life too. That's how he says hello to me. I've he just shows me his guns. oh shout out to the lads Um, (laughs) but I think I think this idea that we're we just know that all we've got is like jobs that some people respect and Mm. occasionally a good one-liner and we are happy to take whatever dopamine that gives us and people love to be holier than thou about it the same way as when it's a beat they're like guys have you have you just thought about not doing that and just yeah yeah like be kind or GMC those yeah oh my god (laughs) Mm. but yeah yeah, I think it's 
I mean, it's so true. He was just, I mean, it just went on and he was like, I don't care. I just tweet what I tweet and it's up to you guys to not like it or like. And the idea that, you know, yeah, I mean, yes, there are people who are looking for attention and trying to become like the next Twitter celebrity. And that's fair enough. That's your game. Like whatever your your thing is, it's up to you. What you you use the platform for is up to you. And you shouldn't really, unless you're going out and harming someone, then I I don't see, really see what the big deal is. But, you know, it was as if like, I don't know. Did he not like the idea that people do other things beyond, you know, beyond medicine? Like, no. If you're a professional medical person, you you only do publications. You only do research. Like anything else, any side hustle, anything that you're doing is not worth tweeting about. I mean, quite frankly, the extractor fan in my bathroom has been broken for four months. So I need people to tell me that spending money on yet another jumpsuit was the correct thing to do. (laughs) I have mold growing in my bathroom. I think it's important to own yet another item of clothing that I cannot go to the toilet in. Um, (laughs) I need that validation because my father is not going to tell me that's a sensible way to spend money. Mm. Like, I need someone to tell me that that was a good way to live my life. It's one of those kind of weird kind of things, right? Like, why talk to anyone? Like, I mean, why have a conversation? Like, what? Because everything kind of is about either yourself or, like, we just talk about, like, we're social beings, right? Yeah. It's like that question about um, altruism. Like, is there any true altruism? Like, do you ever really do it just for the for the good of, like, doing it? Like, it's like that whole question. And then when you start to ask that, then you're like, uh, I don't know. Like, sh- should you give money to charity? Or, like, should you, like, it's just all this kind of, like, weird, like, oh, it just sounds exhausting and then when he was like talking about patient like patients seeing it and stuff i was like actually mate, this is just how you feel maybe you're a bit jealous of that thread or something i don't know i mean the question of ulterior motives comes up doesn't it? i think phil lee had a bit of a question about is his ulterior motive when he shared something about oh, yeah. covid do you see that so your immune system meeting covid uh, who did a little tweet about COVID. Let's just look, COVID and vaccinations, that's what he did. And as a, what a surprise, someone came in and questioned his motivations behind that tweet. And the line was, I question whether you're actually a doctor. If you are, then how much were you paid to sell your soul? Has Phil Lee sold his soul? I mean, that kind of question of motivation just seems to turn up with every, any sort of, anything to do with vaccines, anything to do with doctors or anything to do with that sort of area. Have you noticed that? Is the going rate for a soul more or less than an extractor fan? <laughs> it's a very important question. Right. It's a very important question, um, I guess, isn't it? But it's just balmy. So I'm like, I mean, obviously vaccines are the, the in thing. And there was a really funny one. Did you see this one? You know, maybe I'll just read this one out. It is my favourite. This is, this is your favourite. Do you want to read this one out then? Oh, Jen, God. You... I'm actually find it. Hang on one second. I find it very suspicious that the virus now all of a sudden seems to be targeting people who didn't get the ridiculous vaccine. Has anyone (laughs) else noticed this? Why is the virus only targeting those who stand up to the government vaccination all of a sudden? They won. Wow. Twitter is again one because that's phenomenal. I I just don't know what to say to that because it's like the level of paranoia. The, the complete misunderstanding of what viruses are and how they work and how vaccines work. Where do you start? I also think, despite Van Tam's best football metaphors, like we have not communicated what a virus is to the public very well mm. because Johnson's mm. rhetoric was all, we will fight them on the beaches. Like, it's not a war against viruses. Like, that's not how they work. Mm. Um, so I'm not surprised that people think that they 
they have like a little round table meeting and the virus, like COVID says who it's going to attack next. <laughs> do, you, do you think though there's like a cultural problem, say in the UK, where there is this whole kind of exceptionalism thing where people feel like they're more intelligent and they need to like understand stuff. Whereas like in certain other countries where there were kind of lockdowns and things, people are a bit more, I was thinking of kind of like Scandinavia and stuff where they seem to be a bit more kind of behaved and be like, okay, you know, particularly mm. when we didn't really know very much at all. It just seems really peculiar that they feel like they need to understand everything. But mm. going back to that tweet, and I just was amazed by like the childlike innocence of it. Like, mm. imagine like the wonder that they must experience in the world. Like, <laughs> imagine what, the, like, if you were to, if the, when you like, they turn like a switch on and off, like a light switch, and then the light comes on. Like, how must they imagine that the light comes out from that light bulb when they press the switch? Like, <laughs> they must, like, what must be going through their mind? It must be amazing. It must be a beautiful place. Like, they don't think of like electronics. Wonderment, isn't might, it? Yeah, like, what, like everything you know, shook them. I mean, but they must read anything and everything and just believe it to be true, right? Or something like, you know, you, Laura, you're telling us about someone that said that you might know Harry Potter or something. Is that right? As a... <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were talking about, I can't remember what prompted it, but when I was a teenager and I like was swimming in the States and this lass asked me, she was like, D- I'm not going to do the American accent. And uh, oh. she, she was like, do you know Harry Potter? And I went, oh, the actor. And she went, no, Harry. And, <laughs> God, and, um, and yeah, I think the idea of a 16-year-old, 15, 16-year-old asking me that question. And you know she sat at home waiting for her whole her, 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 But you also know she wouldn't pass the entrance exam. And I felt for her. Oh, oh. <laughs> so pure and, you know, but... I think there's what's the saying? It's better to be uh, Socrates dissatisfied than a pig satisfied because it's the pig that becomes bacon. So, mm, that's like pretty deep. I've got to think oh, about that. Wow. <laughs> but it is, it is. I mean, yeah, I mean, I remember I, I was telling, telling, talking to you guys about, you know, I was on holiday once and there was this lady that was with us on this boat going to these islands and she, she was just full of this wonderment. And it was an amazing thing to watch, but I also felt kind of bad for her because she was like, oh, why does the sea have different colours? As she was looking out because she didn't realise the clouds were putting shade onto some parts of it. She was asking about the islands and how far they float away from each other sometimes and how they stay in place. And it was a bit like wow, man, like, you know, I just felt like what kind of world you live in where someone has never explained to you. And I felt maybe that it's exactly what you said, Tarusha, like maybe there's points at which you just understand, you don't need to understand. Just if they say the vaccine is good for you, take the vaccine, yeah. you know, I don't know. I mean, um, I, I that was my attitude towards the Krebs cycle. Krebs cycle. Yeah, yeah, like if you tell me the Krebs yeah. cycle exists and it's useful, I'll, okay, I'll learn it, I'll do it, which... Yeah, I didn't. I kind of just meandered my way through that particular exam. I think we now. Yeah. I think we now operate in a world where the the internet has made it seem like perhaps a more health literate than people really are. And mm. I think fundamentally, we don't communicate the nuance of risk and the difficulty of risk. Mm. Um, and I think that was what was missing in sort of the public COVID discussion was it was like, oh, it's COVID safe, it's COVID. And, and actually, I think that is quite a difficult message to distill down that actually all we ever do in medicine and when that's uh, transferred to a policy public level is, mm. balance, is balance risk. And I think it's really difficult when there's 
so many different sources of information, some of them reliable, some of them not for, for people mm. to navigate that. And somehow we've lost the trust that helped them navigate that. I mean, whose responsibility is it to, to tell them these things? I mean, let's say, for example, they tried to call their GP to have that discussion and they can't get through to their GP. It's just not happening. It's the GP's fault. That's what's going on here. Have you seen those kind of sort of sentiment that everything's the GP's fault? The hospital doctors are blaming blaming the GPs for not being able to see patients and vice versa. GPs what else is going on out there? The space. Yeah, mate. And now if you want to get a gun... They've got a, they've got a, yeah, exactly, well, like. exactly. Oh, wow, you, you've done that a nice one, Trisha. But, um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Blame the GPs for who gets guns. And I think, um, Sean Hussein said, look, you know, you can't, it's not the GP's job to give guns or not. And this is just another standard situation. I mean, we're, we're kind of alluding to some that very, some terrible thing that happened, uh, very recently. Yeah. You probably do know about it shooting in Plymouth. And um, we had the situation where, you know, sh- Apart from the fact that, you know, there was people that passed away, people started asking questions. How did it happen? Whose fault is it? How did this go? How does this happen? So there was a big conversation about incels, which we can go into in a bit. But then there was a conversation about, well, you know what? How is this person deemed medically fit to have a gun? And then therefore it took another step to be, it's the GP's fault for this person to have a gun because it should be them to say whether the person's well enough to have a gun in the first place. I mean, how much more do you want to push on these guys? Like, there's just so much to do in 15 minutes to try and, you know, a, a driving test is longer than that, isn't it? I feel like there are GPs listening to this probably thinking, 15 minutes, oh, that would be a luxury. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's how out of touch I am. I don't know how long they see patients uh, anymore. Yeah, it's true. It's like 10, seven. It's 10 um, quant. I don't know how you do that. I mean, but like, yeah. bottom line here is in the UK, people shouldn't really own guns. Like, it should, like, n- nobody should have them. Maybe, like, I don't know, who should have them? Like, somebody who, like, shoots in the Olympics, and even then that should be, like, they should just use it in, like, a tre- test centre or something. I don't know. But, like, it shouldn't be available, right? You see how it's like in the States. It's just ridiculous. I just don't think mm. you should have it here. End of. I mean, what got me thinking, actually, is that that was a horrendous event for any of us to see. But when you go across the pond, the Americans, they're quite, they must be quite used to seeing this kind of stuff. Like, it seems to come yeah. up quite often, Not doesn't awful. it? It's, yeah, it's a really, because actually there was someone, an American, I guess his colleague now, like, who um, helped me set up my workstations when I tweeted up about the ones. And since then, we've messaged each other on Twitter. And occasionally when he's doing these night shifts, he will take a photo of, like, some some injuries, gunshot gun injuries, which are very, they're fascinating things to see because of what they are. But when you take a step back, you think, wow, man, like I had to go to a trauma center to see anything like that. And this guy's seeing yeah. it time and day in and day out in his job. Like it just happens again and again and again. And it's just, they're so unfortunately used to, to well, you know, some people say it's okay for them to have guns and that, that's your opinion. But to live as a medical professional, to know that there's going to be things like that that are coming in a lot, isn't it? It's, it must be just a weird place to be for our colleagues across the pond, don't you think? Yeah, so much suffering, isn't it? I just, uh, I think that's one of the things that kind of, when I see those treats, I just kind of like think, there's a bit of rubbernecking, isn't it? Because you know it happens. You know, oh, I think what's what's remarkable is we sort of went, oh, this is the worst shooting that the UK has had since a significant period of time. Mm. And was it five people died, two people in hospital? Am I correct? Yeah. And so, despite it being a horrific event, that's a UK mass shooting compared mm. to American mass shooting. And then mm. think about what it must feel like if you're in the States to be like, oh, and another one. For us, this was such an anomaly. I can't imagine what it feels like, whether you're just a little bit desensitized to it or whether there's more dread because you you, you know it. I don't know which way you go when you see these things. But 
the whole incel thing is kind mm. of interesting, right? Because like having browsed like Reddit for quite a long time, like I've been on Reddit for longer than I was on Twitter. Like I was well au fait with, with the term. Um, but it kind of seems like, I thought it was an insult to be called that, but it kind of seems to be like an actual, an, almost like a diagnosis that's like given like mm. these involuntary celibate people. And I just thought it was a cuss. But then obviously there was this whole like culture do you hear like do you know like red pill and all that kind of stuff and yeah. i kind of put them all into that kind of bracket these kind of like women hating like women it's kind of like one of those things where women don't like us because they're horrendous you know you just kind of rationalize it by just making them into like caricatures and hating like it's just this horrible misogynistic kind of movement but it's interesting because when people talk about incels it kind of almost i don't know i feel like it kind of like normalizes this really bizarre like pathological behavior and mm. I, I almost don't feel like it's like an insult. It's just like a kind of thing that people accept happens. And it's just really bizarre, I think. I mean, it was bizarre that it wasn't being labelled as a terrorist. Did you see that tweet? I think Partha tw- tweeted about this where he was like, you know, it is terrorist. And saying, because someone said that because it doesn't have a religious backing at all, you know, yeah. organised group behind it, i.e. religion, it doesn't get to be called yeah. uh, a terrorist thing. And actually, the blame is on women. And there was a tweet. I don't know if you saw this law where someone was tweeting that. Well, they were just suggesting that this is what happened here is a woman's fault. Like they should be. Of they should... course, it fucking is. Is it not <laughs> always? Oh my god, we give you too much sex because we're all swaggy. We give you too little sex, so you've got to get stabby. Like. <laughs> why must we be Goldilocks about the sex all the time? Like we, we've got to give you just the right amount of sex to just the right person. Yeah. And, and it's yeah. all, oh, for crying <laughs> out loud. I don't even like to do enough to give you the time of day. Let alone um, any kind of sexual favours, for crying out loud. I feel like <laughs> is, oh, I have views. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's partly. I, I've kind of purposely egged you on there. Uh, apologies in advance for uh, raising your blood pressure, but it, it was true. Like it was a very bizarre sort of um, sort of subsequent sort of conversation that came up, you know, as a result of what ended up happening. But you know, talking about odd people on the internet. I mean, let, let's move on from the whole a very difficult subject, very difficult thing that happened. But let's move move on to odd subject, uh, odd things that we found on the internet for a change to line up. Well, I don't know if it lightens things up. Basically, we found someone on Twitter that basically found someone that was selling human remains. So I guess well, the theme here, maybe with the internet, is like incels congregating. And in the same way, there seems to be this, there's this guy who um, finds bones, like skeletons. Um, I think they're ma- mainly from like the Asian subcontinent, although I could be reading into that wrongly. I kind of looked at the subsequent thread. And um, there's loads of them and they collect them. And I just thought it's kind of weird mainly because I just kind of wonder what the consent process is on it. But then, of course, like from our perspective, dissection and stuff is obviously something that we're kind of familiar with. And uh, it's kind of an interesting topic, isn't it, about like um, when do like remain, when when is it remains and when is it like a person? And when does it, when does that ownership kind of cease? Because then there's, on the other side, there's like Henrietta Lacks and stuff, isn't it? Who cells are kind of used, you know, without her permission. And, and certainly from that perspective, ill-gotten remains, there is that whole kind of history of exploitation and stuff. What do you guys think? They violate your consent when you're alive. They violate your consent when you're dead. <laughs> Sorry. 
Yeah. I wasn't over I wasn't over the last discussion, so um Oh sorry. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, uh, we can come back to it if you want. I think no, I just think it's important to state that the guy doing this is uh, also a guy. Um yeah. and uh, yeah. 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 But no, um, I think, yeah. it I, was. I think it is an interesting one because we were discussing yesterday the my my medical school did a really nice thing where it would have it would have a memorial service, a, um, a service of celebration for the lives of the people that donated their bodies for dissection and prosection. And the families would come and students and staff would come and it was a real celebration. And it's just a stark contrast when you look at sort of the history of medicine and what's being carried on in this example, where it's people that we usually exploited and violated during their life being exploited mm. and violated during their death and even mm. though and the difference with this consensual pro-section dissection donation is after a kind of fixed period of time their remains do get a kind of burial you know um whereas mm. this you've you've got the specimens that are in the surgical museums you know the Ontarian and the the one up in Edinburgh going to be there forever these people at least mm. get a resting place never get that peace and it's although i'm not sentimental about human remains that's just my remains and yeah yeah i mean I, we were talking about this yesterday like i just don't know how useful dissection really was like i mean i, I went and did it but I, I just i don't think i learned all that much anatomy really from it and i don't think it really helped me all that much and um i remember we used to have this thing do you remember through called uh, professional development spine pds and um, they were actually talking about how doing dissection would kind of, it's like um, a rite of passage. Doing dissection is like a very uh, medical schooly thing to do. And once you've done it, you're part of the crew. You're part of the whole medical society or, you know, community. And I, I look back and I just feel like there, there were just better ways to learn anatomy. There's also better ways to become a rite of passage as like a medical student. Just like mm. get an STI or an episode of depression and like, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's easier than learning anatomy. Yeah, well, yeah, okay, maybe. Yeah, I say yeah, this as someone who barely passed anatomy every kind of, every semester yeah, I mean, I, it's amazing. I failed most of my anatomy, well, I failed most exams, but I failed most of my anatomy, and that's integral to what I do. And um, I just think that there is, um, there, there, there's anatomy that's anatomy that's worth knowing. And I think I personally feel as though we should probably, as an F, you know, as medical students, learn more uh, radiological anatomy, because that's actually something that affects us all. We see chest x-ray CTs. It'd be good to know what things look like on, on imaging personally, but obviously I'm going to be biased uh, towards that. Yeah. I think they, though yeah. we've got to be kind of aware that people have different learning techniques, right? Or learn, learn mm. things that kind of work for them. And for some people, maybe the idea, like the maybe the mechanistic nature of dissection, maybe helps them learn better. You know, like they say, right? Mm. We're different types of learners. I certainly yeah. found le lecture-based teaching. I found that really difficult. I didn't. Mm. I didn't. Um, it was after a little. I just. Could, I just didn't have the attention span for it. And about ten minutes, fifteen minutes into the lecture, I was, you know, done. Um, mm. Whereas I found, yeah, and there was that thing I remember when we started, like they were like, "Oh, we're doing this new thing, like we're doing a bit of problem-based learning," and I think it's all mm. changed now, isn't it? I don't know. But like, 
God, how old, how old are we? But like, you know, everyone learns in different ways. So I wonder, it was probably useful to some people. I've got to say, with, from my perspective as a registrar, we did do some teaching where we practiced um, on cadavers uh, doing temporary wires and pericardiosynthesis, and that was really, really useful. So I think those, those sacrifices that people have made aren't completely in vain. I'm sure there are people who are kind of... Oh, yeah, I, I guess I'm not saying it's in vain. I just wonder whether... I mean, yeah, I, I think I would prefer to learn from dissection, you know, pre-dissected things with labels rather than having to dissect a brand new body every single time. I mean, you can't underestimate the amount of sacrifice and, um, you know, like what it takes to donate your physical being for the greater good of medical learning, don't you think? I mean, uni, as you remember, uni was a, a fun time, wasn't it? I mean, I like to remember it as, as a fun time. But we saw a recent tweet come out about, you know, what kind of uni jobs did you do? Like, um, did you guys work at uni? Did you guys do very much? Uh, did you, or beyond, you know, I don't know, what did you say? Get STIs and... Yeah, depression. Sorry. <laughs> I was giving them as examples. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, Oops. No, 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 I, I, I did, yeah, I did collect a couple of episodes of depression. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, that, that sentence took a, that could have, yeah, okay, good, good. Yeah, good, yeah, carry on. <laughs> you go one of two ways, fluoxetine or doxycycline, like you're going to have one of them. And, um, and, uh, and I was too pale to have doxycycline, so. I had to yeah go the other way and um, but I uh, what were we talking about oh yes uh, jobs um, mm, yes. And, which does kind of link to us yes anyway sorry and um, I... oh my word <laughs> oh god no I did I did summer jobs uh, to fund my lifestyle which was mainly buying overpriced tea and magnum. <laughs> no, the vegan magazines were released quite late in the day, so you know I, I had my SHO uh, income by that point. And um, but yeah, so I did bar work. I worked in Blockbuster. Remember what? Oh, Blockbuster. Oh man, did you? I always used to want to work at Blockbuster because I used to love watching movies. Did you actually watch films while you're sitting at Blockbuster? Or yeah, yeah. To... We watched. We watched films, and oh, there was a day where the freezer broke, and mm. even though I was vegan at that point, rather than the ice cream going in the bin all the defrosting ice cream, we ate a lot of that. And I don't know if you've ever not eaten dairy for about two years of your life and then eaten about four litres of burnt cherry. That was not my smartest move. And, um, yeah, and no, but Blockbusters was fun. Like, I got to watch... As part of my job, it was like, well, you have to watch the movies so you can recommend them to people. Mm. <laughs> As if any guy coming in to rent a DVD wanted to know my opinion on the film. That was <laughs> And um, I got locked in the Dropbox bin. It was, yeah, it was a riot. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Can you imagine that? I mean, that, you know, that's just been replaced by Netflix. Your, your recommendations now are replaced by an algorithm that looks at what you think and what you do. It's just, it's balmy that Blockbuster's just completely disappeared. I actually worked in the gym uh, as a receptionist and I was telling you through to that uh, if if I could get the same money that I make now working there I'll go back it was a genuinely the most fun time of my life I used to wake up early go to the gym you know sit there chat meet you know meet a few people then afterwards go to the gym again it was just so and there were so many shenanigans you know, I wasn't even aware of like when I used to go as a gym person I didn't know half the stuff that happened between the the personal trainers and and their clients 
But wow, there was just so much stuff that was going on. Um, yeah, between no everyone. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, it was, it was eye opening. Yeah, I genuinely I used to go in blinkers and just do what I got to do and get out. And then when I started working, I was like, "You did what? With who, what?" Mm. And it was just complete. It was shenanigans, but it was good. It, it was good. It was fun. I mean, I didn't get involved in that shenanigans. I was, I was too scared. Of course um, not. Of, kind, course of course not. not. No, no, of course not. No. Um, um, yeah, yeah. We, I mean, what, yeah. We, I mean, um, we we had experience in medical students, didn't we? I mean, Law, you're quite a keen medical student, weren't you? You were saying you were you were someone that was again. It's it's a fine line between keen and anxiety. No, you, you, you sounds like you were annoying. Yeah, I was really. I was really annoying. No, 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 I was a really annoying medical student. Yeah, um, in many yeah. ways. Like I don't. The podcast is already like we're already. Uh, quite a way in I mean I'm not sure if you have enough time to listen to all the ways I was an annoying medical student no you you tell me I can cut this down go for it <laughs> I'm interested tell me what made you so annoying <laughs> a lot of anxiety um so uh, um, I no you know so you used to go and do like a phleb round and that sounds delightful if I was that's F1, amazing yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Did a phleb round. so, don't so I used to do lovely. I used to do a phleb round for the F1. So I used to do all their bloods and cannulas uh, so that they were free to teach me. Um, I, um, That's amazing. That's amazing. I didn't, like, I didn't miss the day of placement. And I remember going in ill once when I had like the flu and I went in and I was almost fainting in the ophthalmology theatre and they made me lie down in the recovery room in the recovery wow. bay and I fell asleep and I woke up to the head of ophthalmology uh, going, why is there a medical student asleep in my recovery? And I was like, oh, I really wanted to, and I didn't want to miss placement. And she just, went, <laughs> she just went like deadpan. She was, do you think you're learning right now? <laughs> and I was like, no, but I didn't want to get in trouble. She was like, go home. <laughs> and, I, and I threw like going home, like walking to the bus, I threw up in the corridor of the hospital, sat down to like regroup my blood pressure. And the domestic came along and just went, don't mind me, and popped cones around me. Like, oh, wow. Oh, such an amazing job, isn't it? <laughs> I was just sat wow. there with these neon cones around me. <laughs> with like the neon cones around me. And I was like, I need to get a life. Um, but wow. I did not. So. Man, I, I was, I mean, I remember when I was an F1, I had, I mean, I still got imposter syndrome a lot, but I think like then I was really imposter syndrome. Like I really should not be a doctor right now. This is not good. And then this, this student turned up and he was just so annoying. He used to turn up early than me to the ward round, get the list ready before me. And then I, he, my reg used to really like him. And I started feeling a bit jealous. I started being like, oh, my reg likes him more than he likes me. I can't believe this. Like what's going on? And I think the pinnacle of it is that the few times my reg was like, oh, that medical student's so good, isn't he? You know, he's just so good. He's so good. And I was like, stop talking about that annoying person that's turning up here for free and basically doing what I'm meant to be doing. And one day I walked into the doctor's room and he was sitting there looking all smug and smarmy, like, oh, you know, <laughs> I've got you, mate. You're, you're, you're not very good at what you do. And he goes, Imran, so uh, the jobs for today are going to be taking blood from this person, this person, this person, and you need to take this form down to radiology and you need to go do this, 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 this. And I thought... Who the hell do you think you are? Some student has walked into here and told me what to do. And then I thought, but you, you're right. I do have to do those things. So I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I better go do those things then. So thanks oh. a lot, mate. And I've walked off. 
But yeah, I don't know, man. Medical students, man, they they do they do they kind of go between the two. I like to, I like to hope I was never I like to hope I was never that bad. But I I was definitely I was definitely annoying. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's been there's the other end where I had someone literally fall asleep right in front of me in the middle of a teaching session through X-rays, and I said to her, "Excuse me, um, can you wake up, please?" And she's went, "What do you want?" <laughs> and I just looked at her. And said, oh, oh well, man. you're right. I mean, there's not really much I can do. I mean, if you want to sleep, go, yeah, fine, carry on. So I just Amazing. carried on the session. It was so like, oh, she's asleep again. So what angry. do I do? Yeah, yeah, I disturbed her sleep. Uh, yeah, I mean, Lord, you're right. We we've come up to an hour, and there was a section that we probably should go. Should we go through this? Should we do this? What? Should we yeah. do this? I mean, uh, we've got a section which basically just outlines uh, men being dicks, isn't it? Really, um, <laughs> and it's just like something like Med Twitter that just keeps on giving. And so it's kind of nice to actually have a woman. Uh, woman? Am I female? Uh, oh my god, females worse. <laughs> Oh no, what have we done? We're cancel- say, are we cancelled? I'm oh, cancelled now. I mean, it's only a matter of time when I started doing this. I don't even know what I was doing. And, you know, I should have put some like, proper thought into it. So, Law, can you just kind of, I don't know, untangle this problematic thing that I'm doing? I'm sorry, you, you want me to untangle the patriarchy and what? Please, yeah. In, like, in 15 minutes, go. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, firstly, you all need to stop. <laughs> and, then, and then we need some positive discrimination. <laughs> we need, oh, okay, we yeah. need some good, widespread good. laryngitis. <laughs> right. Oh, right. Wait. What? You, oh wait, is that because of mum? The men need to stop talking. That was that was what that oh, meant. Uh, the men, that, the, 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 too many thoughts. Too many thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Whoa, men nice. We need to. Okay. You know, we need to change some terminology. So you know, for example, a woman having a good sense of humour is not the same as a woman finding you funny. And I just mm. feel, I just feel mm. like that that needs to be said. And. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that uh, reminds me. Oh, shit, am I interrupting? I shouldn't interrupt. Yeah. Oh. No, Thrusha, please. I feel like you want to say something. Your face, you can't see it, but he looks like he wants to say something. You can say like something. A, like a puppy. Go on, go for it. Is it? It's just that there was a... What did you think about the gendered titles thread? You know, there was the thing where the, mm. um, the Royal College of Surgeons are talking about going uh, removing the whole Mr. Mrs stuff ambiguity and having surgeons be doctors and you can because that's something that they do elsewhere right they're just surgeons they don't do something they're starting um, to do elsewhere isn't it yeah i mean yeah do you think that's a good do you think that's a good thing and what you know what are your thoughts on it i mean i'm not i am never going to relate to the feeling of passing kind of surgical exams and getting that kind of that rite of passage of transitioning back from like doctor to um to whatever title someone chooses to use but I think it would certainly from a patient point of view I think it clears up some confusion um and I think also one of the interesting responses I saw was uh, a female surgeon and forgive me I I, I looked quickly so I've, I've now closed the tab and I feel really bad not naming oh, is that, oh, don't worry, is this don't worry. Roshana Roshana? Roshana. So someone, basically someone who said they noticed that they use the title doctor despite mm. having membership. And then oh, okay. my, many of their male colleagues will use mister. And I think a lot of that is if you say miss or or, or whatever, it's oh. that, that's not going to carry the same weight. So actually yeah. 
you know, it ties into that um, discussion that comes up every now and again about women wanting to be referred to by their title of doctor or prof or, or, or whatever, and actually men sometimes responding, saying, oh, well, that's just pompous, that's just, you know, and actually, yeah. and, and not recognising that sometimes for people to take you more seriously, you do have to use your title or you do have to use anything that you have in your armory. I, I found it really interesting. I don't wear makeup because I do not know how to apply it. But <laughs> the mascara one goes in your eye. Why is there blood? And, um, <laughs> and, but I remember sort of saying to an old, uh, a former housemaker, why did you bother getting up? Like, why do you, like, what, you've got to get into work for seven. Why did you bother getting up earlier to put makeup on? And she said, well, I'm small. I look relatively young. For anyone to take me seriously as a doctor, actually, I do have to make myself look older and smarter and fit certain things for people not to treat me like a little girl. And I've certainly... You know, I remember once assessing a patient and I was wearing a floral skirt and, and the patient was like, what do you know, little girl? Or something oh, about mm. that thing. And, and actually, so anything you do have in your corner to present some sort of authority, you know, and unfortunately, many of it, I'm tall, I have, you know, I, I speak, I have a middle class sort of south um, southern accent so I, I, I have a lot of things that even you know despite being like why men that I, I still have a lot of things that work to promote that authority and I, and I think the title is just another one of them um, so, mm. but again that's for the the members of the college to vote on probably but I mean, like, uh, yeah, I mean, Roshana was talking about how, I mean, she's echoed something else. Uh, yeah, there are occasions where she'd be mistaken for the more junior person just because she's walked into the room with a junior male. You know, that kind of stuff just happens so often. And in fact, I've met up with a friend of mine who said, uh, echoed the sentiments. It just seems to be the ongoing theme that um, females in the workplace are automatically thought to be to be junior. You know, is that what's going on here? I mean, that's just, it just seems to keep coming up. But we also had another a tweet. Did we see this one where I think this is the first, you know, it sounds really sad, but I was not aware for a long time that female were getting, you know, women were getting DMs of certain people's anatomy. Did you see that? And there was a tweet where someone had actually screen capped a whole load of, um, someone had sent them a part of their anatomy and they started giving bot replies saying that um, auto reply we've detected yeah do you see this yeah yeah we've detected the transmission of unsolicited pornographic images of potentially legal nature codes on it. so the whole thing was so official clearly they were just copy pasting the same thing mm. and it just seemed to be um, the person who'd sent the initial image was now panicking like oh my god oh my god like what have I done and it just it just shows you like um, the only the person was a bit like only regretting what they did when they thought there was the possibility of some sort of comeuppance for their actions and until there is some comeuppance for those kind of the, those kind of actions, I'm not sure this is this kind of thing's going to stop, is it? It's just completely, I don't know. I just don't know what to say. It's uh, it's really it's really quite crazy. And and that episode and subsequent conversation with male, uh, female colleagues, they they've echoed the same thing again and again. It's just unwanted unwanted personal messages that keep coming in. Um, anyway, I feel like we kind of got through through most things. Kind of there was uh, the one about nurses 
going into it for the money and for the oh yeah yeah so there was another tweet that they said it kind of this is a good tweet because it had everything put together didn't it it was like mm-hmm. you put everything so many points together into one particular tweet and the tweet was the problem with so many or many nurses became nurses for money and not to decide to help other people they want the pay and possibly meet another doctor to marry. I mean, this was kind of almost, if you could distill the sentiment of so many things into one tweet, wasn't that Wasn't that it? Like it was just completely distilled into one tweet. That's just so wrong. It touched on so many things. It touched on, firstly, the fact that anyone would think someone went into nursing for the money. Mm. I thought, yeah, I mean, how out of um, and, and no awareness yeah. that perhaps the reason that nursing is underpaid is because it's seen as a traditionally female job in the way that a lot of caring jobs are and then just not understanding any basic gender politics and how it interacts with economic security by going oh and they they just want to go in and meet a doctor as if women had other access to financial security when Mm. kind of these as these roles like emerged as as, as they developed mm. and it's like sort of well well yes because marriage was a business arrangement it was a property arrangement and oh yeah true that's it's it's not it didn't exist for the purpose of romance the fact yeah. that people are sort of demonizing women for accessing security kind of how they could, however they could or and the fact that they think that anyone that works in the NHS has time to meet anyone in any other setting is, is mm. cute. So I think it just highlighted their ignorance about every aspect that they touched on in that tweet. And yeah, it was just completely, yeah, completely off. And actually, yeah, so many interesting, you know, concepts there that, um, yeah, that just the idea for, yeah, exactly like I said, that they're getting paid and then, you know, as if their aim in life was to go marry a doctor. I mean, these things are situational. It depends on your environment, who you who you hang out with. Unless you make a conscious... We've seen it all the time, haven't we? Unless you make a conscious effort to not go for medical, the likeliness is that if you go into medical school and you become a doctor, you're going to end up with someone of the health profession because that's that's where you are. That's just the environment that you're in, right? Yeah. It's not as though someone aims to do these things. It's just, it was so... It was such a silly, silly, silly thing that someone uh, brought up. So I think we've, we've managed to get through most things now, um, haven't we? Through There wasn't anything else that we wanted to uh, bring up so um and, and we've been talking for more than an hour now as well so i just want to say a big thank you to to laura i mean you've been an absolute star um and uh, we've been looking forward to having you laura would you be able to make it on monday evening for our monday evening med twitter meetup we um do every monday evening we do a monday twitter uh, space um, uh, is, is so normally organised by Ajay and Thrusha. What did you think of the last space that we had? What on earth happened there? I mean, uh, where do we even start? Yeah, I mean, we did. Well, Lord, did you see that at all? It just yeah. went completely barmy. It was um, the magic yeah, had, eye man crashed. Yeah, yeah, it just <laughs> completely crashed. Uh, we had like 580 people turn up. We had the big Doctor Glockenflecken who turned up as well. Thrusha and I were both a bit starstruck. Thrusha did ask him to come on the podcast. If you do listen to the podcast, we still want you to come on. Yeah, but yeah, it was a really, really fun evening and we had a, a lot of big conversation about professionalism and what it takes to be a professional. Doctor. I think I think Twitter Spaces needs to learn how to cope with that many people in it. Because honestly, yeah. he's the only man that impresses me more than dresses with pockets. Like, he is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah. 
Yeah, he's also definitely get him on the podcast. Yeah, let's hope so. Yeah. It was it was completely. But as soon as he came in, suddenly we had like five hundred eighty people, and I started getting requests for it. So many people wanted to talk, and I just couldn't. My phone couldn't take it, and the whole thing completely crashed. But anyway, look, we'd love for for you guys to come and have chat to us live. It'd be lovely to have you come along. Uh, thank you again, Laura, for coming on. Hopefully, we'll have yeah, you sure. again whenever you you do have time. Uh, and um, yeah, everyone have a great week. And um, I don't know. Let's try and stay out of trouble this week, eh? Hey team, this is Imran, uh, just working on the last few bits of the recording a few days after the initial podcast recording with the team. Um, just uh, thought I should jump in because we were meant to actually uh, mention that we're going to put a few links with the podcast episode this time um, for some charities to donate for women in Afghanistan, um, given everything that's going on there. So um, if you can, just um, click on the podcast notes and you should be able to find that charity link and um, yeah, it'd be great if you could. And you've been listening to Two Medics and One Mic with Imran Lasker and Tarusha Gawana. Thank you for listening. Thank you.